Hello and welcome to the Branfkoll podcast. In this episode we talk to Ralph Ostol, a man who has been in this business of ours for a long time and have as much experience as anyone. For the past nine years or so, he has been the CEO of PF Concept in Europe which combined with their operations in North America and Asia constitutes one of, if not the largest supplier of promotional products in the world. In late March, me and Ralph had the opportunity to sit down and talk for an hour or so in the digital world. It ended up being an inspiring conversation about the industry, how it has changed and where it is going. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as me and Ralph did. When I woke up this morning I knew something was wrong Mr. Ralph Öster, a pleasure to have you with us in the Brandfgall podcast. Thank you very much, David. I'm uh, glad to be uh, invited, also have the chance to meet you. And I hope uh, I can uh, bring some interesting uh, content for your readers and for the industry in the Nordic countries. I'm sure you will. Maybe all <laughs> of Europe will listen. We will see. <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's be open to it. <laughs> so let's dive right into the action and uh, talk about something that deeply affects us all right now. And it is, of course, the COVID uh, pandemic. Can you talk a bit more about uh, how it's been to navigate large European companies spread out on many different markets during these uh, difficult times? What changes have you made? What has been the hardest part and so on? Yes. Let me describe a little bit. It's a journey because uh, when we look at our date today, I think it's the 17th of March and it's exactly one year ago. Well, I left on the, I think, 5th or 6th of March for ski holidays and I never came back. So, and I think that was uh, the starting point where we have asked, where I have asked all our employees to move on the 17th to work from home because we needed to evacuate the entire buildings everywhere because we were strongly asked due to the corona situation not to come back to the office anymore. So I would say I, I describe it and I did this also a couple of times to all of our folks inside the company. I think that was first, I would say, a crisis mode, a shock situation for the entire employees and for everybody because there is not an existing blueprint. What happens if there's a pandemic situation? How the, the leaders and the company is going to react in terms of a checklist, a plan, right? So you know this from, from fire brigades or from military. If there's something happening, you have your checklist and then you go through it and everything is fine. But for economy, I think we have not experienced, at least not in my more than 35 years of professional life, such kind of situation. So from a description point of view, I think shock. What's about our people? How we can deal with the work from home situation? Are they still connected? How they feel? Do we have infections? Is something happening in the company? It took a while. After a couple of days, we get more and more a little bit an overview. So first message, everybody was safe, no infection. The factories are not closed in the UK and also in Poland. We could still work. So we installed immediately in the factories a hygienic uh, funnel, which is a little bit in the same way like you do it with the catastrophic institute civil service or fire brigades or military that you immediately try to avoid that any contamination could come into the building without having any 
this time talking about masks and all this kind of stuff. So it was just close and shut down as best you can the factories, keep it open and control people getting in, getting out, that everything is fine. So after a couple of days, we had this overview. We installed all these things in, in the operations and we could still operate. That was very important. Second is, of course, overview on the finance, liquidity. So what's going on? So what is the sales looking? Is it dropping? Yeah, it did dramatically drop. In real times, how much money we still have on the bank accounts to pay our bills, right? So liquidity was key, cash flow. And then how we organized the work from home because we were also not prepared. Of course, everybody has a little computer and a laptop. That's fine. But uh, in this mass that hundreds of people would go working from home, this was not organized. So, But we did it after a few days. IT department was uh, working very hard. And finally, after I would say seven, eight days, we got a very good overview. Uh, everybody was connected. We could operate with our customers. We are connected with our people. Nothing happened. Still open the operations. Uh, everybody was safe, no infection. And we got an overview about liquidity. So we immediately took actions by stopping inventory flows from Asia into, into Europe, checking on the working capital and cash flow, work with our customer base for outstanding invoices to getting cash in, and also start applying for across entire Europe for temporary unemployment or furloughs packages and from the governments. It was a very uh, extreme challenge in administrative work because we, first we need to get an overview what is what you can do, what you can't do. Every country has a different legislation where we could apply. So we need to learn this and we're we connected with tons of lawyers, hundreds of lawyers, I'm kidding, but uh, a lot of lawyers to understand really uh, what needs to be done on the administrative way. So after a couple of days and weeks in April, business drops significantly in April, but we got a good overview from, I would say, from a crisis mode by knowing what liquidity we have, how long it will last, what we can do and save some money in areas so in temporary workforce in the factories, let go and reduce the, the volumes from a crisis mode, we moved more and more back into a management mode. And that means more management mode means still directive, still very close to everything to manage it tight, but at least feel more comfortable because the overview is there, transparency was there more. And fortunately, also the business in May, June started a little bit better. It came back a bit, not as much, I would say negative, but like it was in the, immediately in April and dropped down. So outstanding invoice was coming in on a regularly good base. So liquidity was raising. We saved uh, significant uh, operation expenses and uh, cash flow was fine. So on this front, in terms of cash flow and liquidity, we, we felt very good after a couple of weeks. And to close that chapter was the right moment to further accelerate investments in the right direction of transition, digital centralized and decomplex the structure and um, uh, building blocks into product, into sustainability, into mobility, which we did in the end. Yeah, it sounds like you acted swiftly and uh, forcefully. As you talked a little bit about uh, people being able to work from home and stuff, I've often thought about uh, if this pandemic were to come 15 years ago, maybe, or 20 years ago, when the digitalization wasn't as big as it is now. And also for the promotional products industry that has in some ways or been a bit late in the digitalization, they have uh, lingered, so to say, some of the companies around Europe 
or the industry as a whole, with the catalog being the primary tool for a long time sure. and now. So no, I, I agree. I'm just thankful, and uh, <laughs> if that's the right word, that that we actually have this um, digitalization now. Some of us have the ability to work from home, to take meetings uh, via the computer and so on. Just to end on, on the on the whole COVID subject, right now, today, how much do you feel the consequences of the pandemic? Now, yeah, in general, like anybody else, is a significant drop of volume in certain areas. I think there's also clear view, at least from our point of view, from Poly Concept Group, uh, North America, also in, in Europe, that it may take uh, probably two years to be uh, back on the level of 2019, where we have been all uh, at this time. I think we might be earliest in, back in, in, by the end of 2022 on the level. But from then onwards, we definitely believe um, we go back on really significant growth. That's one thing on the general, let's say, high-level view. Second is some business might not come back a- at all at the level it were before, right? So when you look at the, um, the events, uh, meetings, and fairs, and, and all this kind of business where we in the promotion industry sell a lot of uh, promotional items to, they will still struggle. You see also right now with the travel and uh, events, music, cultural stuff, it's not coming back that fast. Yeah. Those kind of markets might, like I said, not come back again, probably at the same level it was before. On the other side, you see also some shifts in some other demands, particularly when we talk about work from home. You see uh, a lot of um, items branded, personalized, particular on functional uh, products or so drinkware or stationary products or desktop products or iPhone cases or you name it. It's probably not anymore the top runner of the lanyards, but it is definite shifting in some other areas. So also blankets, towels, apparel was always, that is also an interesting piece. Apparel was always much better doing during the entire pandemic than hard goods. Yeah. Uh, so it was never that, that uh, difficult than the hard goods side. And the consequence for us is, and the opportunity and the chances was that due to the multi-channel and also multi-channel supplier we are, and we play on a very large piano, we are able to uh, diversify the risk also. So you have some areas which were quite good. So in world source, we were growing and apparel was less uh, negative like hard goods. And in hard goods, we, we see that the promotional items were more heavily impacted than the gifting area. And we have decoration. We have also this business of the, uh, the manufacturing products coming out of the UK. So there was a good balanced mix yeah. that we could really play that piano, I would say. Yeah, at least it helped us to, yeah. be, to be on this bigger market. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing with having uh, your eggs in different baskets, right? It's, uh, yes. Yeah. Now, good. This was, this was always our policy and um, to cover more different channels and markets, be really a multi-specialist. This is what we call each other, right? So to be able to supply to our customers to the entire customer base, and they will find a product which they would like to buy from us. I think that was always the time the offer, which is branded products, brand products, or in the different channels we offered. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we could take one step back and, and just talk quickly about PF concept and the poly concept that is like the umbrella organization. How are they connected? How did PF start? Just a quick background story on, on how it's yeah. connected. PF Europe, 
did acquire Leeds in North America in 2005. Then the whole story started. Leeds was also a similar PF in the North American market. And uh, due to acquisitions in the U.S., which came with Bullet in Miami, Journal Books in North Carolina, and Trimark on the apparel side in uh, Toronto, and lately uh, ETS in close to Los Angeles on a drinkware company, the North American market has become much bigger in terms of the players. We are at the, the group. And uh, so today we have, uh, I need even to calculate, but I think with the latest ETS acquisition, the European portion of the entire global business is roughly between 15 and 20% right now. Before it was close to 40% and uh, one third, two third in the range of the size of the business. So and, and the group has been uh, constructed be poorly concept, uh, which is the global group. So it's not an umbrella. It's really one company. We are, I think, six executive members and board members, which I'm part. So I represent Europe on PF. We have a colleague which is um, from North America. And uh, we do have uh, HR, CI, uh, IT, and uh, CMO for product development. And then we have the group CEO and the group CFO built in this part piece into okay. it. Would it be fair then to say that it started in Europe, but it's now America that is the largest market, and that uh, Polyconcept is this uh, product of some of the biggest players in the in the industry that has uh, been acquired or been there from the beginning, and and then uh, Polyconcept has come out from this? Is that a fair yeah. summarization? Uh, absolutely fair. That's fair because we have been. Relatively, I think uh, PF at this time was a little bit bigger in Europe than in North America only Leeds. But due to the acquisition and the further developments, it has become a much bigger portion of the business. But we are acting still quite locally in the geographies. So that means we try to leverage on a category level, for instance, drinkware or bags, global approaches. But be also absolutely clear from a consumer point of view. I think that's that's the, the story. So we are not, I would say, born all in the promotion industry. We are coming from brands. Yeah. We're coming from consumer-oriented businesses. Yeah. We look from the from the eyes out of the consumer. And that means clearly, yes, we leverage process and administration procedure and vendor base. But we do have differences in bag, bags, in colors, in sizes in North America and in Europe. Also in drinkware, in designs and things. So... If the vendor is able to make us a similar product for Europe, then we leverage the vendor base, but not the identical product, right? So that makes it very compelling for the vendors, but also that we stay in the geographies quite flexible to be able to act local on the requirements of the geographies and our customers. And wherever we can leverage the identical item, which we do in Bullet, for instance, many of those, we do it. So I think it's not written in stone, we are a global company, that we have to implement everything on the global procedure. No, we leverage where it makes sense, supply chain, uh, costs, vendor management base, also in, in PD, where we can leverage where it may, really makes sense, ideas, best practice in factories, and then we're going locally really in the different geographies to implement best and what is best for the geography. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. To be as effective as you can, but also have your ear uh, to the ground. And while speaking of locally, my part of the world is uh, the Nordics. And uh, I know you have a significant presence here. 
And uh, if yeah. I'm not uh, miscounting completely, I think your turnaround here last year was around 25 million euros. Are you looking to expand more in the Nordics? What do you think about the Nordic region now? And uh, could you tell us more about like the... Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So the good thing is on the entrance, you know that I'm quite familiar with the Nordics. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> the second is Nordic is a very significant piece of the business in Europe. And we have a very strong and professional team in the Nordics. And you know that we centralized everything in Göteborg for all the countries. Yeah. We have lo local presence in terms of commercial activities. And this is absolutely one of our key uh, geographies in Europe. And uh, of course, we do everything to expand, to grow, to gain share, and also to increase our share of water within our customers. Our country manager, you, you know uh, him. So Jürgen is also part of the uh, management team in Europe. Yeah. So be very clear, they have a strong voice in our further development. Is there some doubts that we would not like to continue uh, doing things in Scandinavia? Or No, uh, not at all. But I think the question is uh, maybe in two parts. The first part is because uh, me talking to, to these uh, companies uh, all day and, and know them very well, I know, of course, that sustainability is a, is a huge part of, of the whole yeah. Scandinavian process. And I, I think that that goes for all of Europe. But uh, Scandinavia has, has a track record of being early on some things. Sustainability is one of them. Digitalization <laughs> is one of them. And maybe if the things you get asked from, from the Nordic, from your relationships here are a bit different than the rest of uh, Europe if, if they ask for specific products and stuff like that. And also maybe that will make you think that the Nordic is an interesting market and region that you like would want to be on this uh, this wave that I can see going clearly through the Nordic now with, with sustainability and so on. Maybe you feel that you want an even stronger presence here because of this. No, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, view. So first statement is that an international, multinational company needs to adapt themselves everywhere they want to do business. If there's a consumer, you want to be there, you have to be capable and ready to adapt yourself to be best positioned in this geography. So I think that's the same what we do as well. And you do have different developments in different geographies and countries, which provokes also a self-critical review for yourself. And um, come back and rethink, is the existing strategy and approach still appropriate? Or do you need some change? And how can you accelerate and, and gain shares? And I think that's something I experienced my entire life uh, in terms of this approach. Second is I also experienced my entire life be based in different geographies in, in North America, but also uh, mainly here in, in Europe, that the uh, sustainable or the environmental aspect pushes is very strong always coming out of, of the Nordics. And this, this is since I'm in business. And that's not, not a surprise. And um, i give you one story. I started my career in the paper industry. I was by company at this time, and I was responsible to export management for this. We uh, developed the biggest portion of recycled paper in 1988, starting on these pieces. So I was part of the Green Swan. Uh, Swedish Swan on this part yeah. and also the, the Blue Angel. So I know what I'm talking about pushes. No, it's the opposite. I think what makes it very interesting and, and um, uh, Nordic is giving us a lot of impulses, uh, positive impulses by how to deal in the markets, very highly digitalized, also asking for a lot of efficiencies on one way. And when you talk about the sustainability or the environmental aspects, it was always uh, 
very interesting to listen to movements and also saw and observe what other industries in your areas, countries, so whether it's the phone companies or whether it's clothing companies on retails and so forth, it's always a very good benchmark. So looking at PF backwards, I would say we were lucky that we started with 2017-18 already stronger developing in this direction with our product ranges and also required changes in our vendor base to meet those requirements in the market. The Nordics or Sweden was really starting kicking off in, in 2019 strongly into this direction and required certificates and and uh, proof and um, a lot of different information from suppliers, which was rightfully uh, the right moment. I was doing with my team and showing really in a presence in Sweden 19 and in Norway in front of the associations. We invited also, I don't know, maybe 100 of uh, customers in Sweden and explained really what is the actual situation, what we are working on, when we are ready on doing this, and what is the, um, let's say, for the time being in 19, the drafted roadmap where we want to be yeah. to make really clear if we want to stay a leader in your, in your regions, we have to be also a leader in that way, in product development and also in sustainability, in, in uh, certificates, in compliance, in everything. And this was a very positive meeting. So I did personally do presentations as well with my colleagues there. We got very positive feedback that we explained really the supply chain process when we talk about the product development through the entire supply chain till the shipment into Europe or into your country, but also from a product compliance point of view, what we do to testing, what we do in selecting vendors, what is the qualification, what we do in terms of if someone is failing, do we still ship or we pluck the goods or we make a recall. So all this has been completely transparent presented and those very good feedback. And this comes back to your question. Again, this was a strong additional acceleration push for me and the organization to even go faster in this way. This ends into the result that we also used it in uh, last year, that we are now also certified with GOATS, G-O-T-S, but also with um, GRS. Now we get um, uh, in the next couple of weeks also the FSG, uh, FSC uh, certificate. Yeah. So that means these are really the highest standard with the company has been judged and audited from external. We're not talking about product, we're talking about company. And that means also fully supply chain. We have also circular projects running in the company right now. Jackets and also with our cups. So we're testing that right now. And from a product compliance point of view, we uploaded the um, re rejuvenate and renewed a lot of our certification DOCs and, and compliance certificates uh, on the web shop. We're uploading them for our customers that can download it. And uh, we also built a roadmap. I think that's the interesting piece. I, I stick out of the, uh, of the sand to put my neck out and say, look, guys, if you want to be really a leader in this, then we need also to give us some hard targets which are able to measure, to measure for our customers, for associations, but also for our shareholders. Because this is, is not just a self-fulfilling prophecy that we do and play around with ourselves. Now we have a, also a business goal to fulfill. That means we have to, to be more sustainable and working in this direction. On the other side, customers are requiring that. So we have to give that answer. 
And then we started um, already in 2019 the first draft of our roadmap, which I mentioned before on the sustainability, that we have given us really a strong target. And I don't know, did, did we publish this already in the in the press? No, but it will be soon. So this is a paper I show you, David, here on the, on the screen. But yeah. And it goes deeper, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not something I tell you, but it's really embedded in our AAA uh, company strategy now. And I have presented this roadmap also to our shareholders, and they are really thrilled about this because we all believe this will be the blueprint for also North America yeah. because they are far, they're still behind, but we run this. So having said that is that last year already, even in this pandemic time, we were able to round about 10% for new product development of fully um, sustainable products, which have all been under the process of God's GRS certified. Of course, they're all compliant, but we're developing this. And for this year, 2021, the plan is to be uh, around about 25% already of all new developments. You have a swap in your stock still, but all the new products in all across the categories should be sustainable products. And the goal is that by 2025, we should be able to uh, be close to 100% of all new product developments across all categories will be um, fully sustainable in the aspect. Wow. These are big numbers. It's a big goal. I'm, I'm not too sure whether we all achieved it, but at least we set some internal goals. Yeah. And in this roadmap, David, we also clearly defined where we want to play and we can play and where we don't. Because this is very important in the whole sustainable discussion is that we clearly defined, we talk about people in ours as a social audits, we talk about products, and we talk about processes. Processes, definite, what can we do for eliminating waste, packaging, plastic bags and different things, and water management in the factories, or even with our uh, supply chain, our vendors. And this is clear goal set, and also on some climate actions, and we are working on the CO2 footprint, really measurable, uh, reducing it going back. On the product side, just to tell you, this is the, I would say this is the more easy part because this is the part where you can really define raw material, recyclable or different ones, choosing your vendors or do your own manufacturing part, but clearly in, in materials and packaging and also that we are looking forward more and more going into circular designs, but yeah. you can really going back. This is the, the optimum, which is yeah. toughest part to do. But at least we have it on the focus and written down some targets on this. And then from the supply chain, I think this is something what, what we have very well under control already. But to be transparent in this part, on the people side, social audits, BCI certified, our own factories, and of course also the uh, sustainable employability, what we all develop. And this is really coming together into collecting the details and bringing it up to the surface of the roadmap where we said, okay, if this and this and this and this happen, we have time steps, what does it mean? So there's a really detailed plan behind. And that requires into the numbers, which can be reconciled, that in two years' time, we will be at 50% of sustainable products for all new product developments. And this is really traceable and trackable because I think that is the most important thing Especially for a company in in your size to to be able to to actually I mean keep track of all all the different angles and 
I guess that uh, you could say that sustainability is a rabbit hole in the best possible way. That uh, that once once you dive down, you you find a next level and a next level, okay. and okay. and uh, somewhere down there, the the end goal is this circularity. And I mean, I think the only thing that you can do, and that that you just told me that you are actually doing, is to just set up high goals and high standards for yourself, and then just just shoot for the moon and uh, whatever sticks sticks and then uh, keep going from there really fun and interesting to hear that you have have these projects uh, going right now and that you want to take it even further because i think i think it's really important to take it to the extra level now i i agree with you and uh, i go even further one is the, the measurement things but it has to be manifested in your company strategy so this is not a project So decoration is not a project or digitalization is not a project. And sustainable is the youngest kid. So, and, and this will become really the family. And there's no, no doubt about it that today our product development uh, team, the sales team, and also the supply chain team, that's day and night, 24-7, they have to look in all the categories for all these criteria we set. And this is completely new. New means last three years or four years, that focus. Yeah. And I think what, what makes it clear and, and the track record shows of PF or polyconsum in general is that once we really decide to go for it and focus, we also execute and very well and fast in this way. And I think that's something where I feel now much more com- comfortable than three years ago because you have so many bits and pieces already clear and transparent and developed that we can set the goals and go for it. And I can, I can trace it and I can also follow up in monthly KPIs. And, that, and this comes to the point is it's, it's manifest in our uh, company strategy. And I report on this every month to the board yeah. and also to my boss, because this is so important and it also requires investments. It's not just, changing the vendor, vendor and um, change some raw material. No, you have to invest yeah. in, in people. So we have also sustainability manager. We have an external consultant helping this, but it goes deeper. It goes into supply chain changes, investing, quality engineering, helping our partner vendor with joint investments, change this, change that, buy a new machine, make this differently, because then we are also more compliant and more in the sustainability piece. Change the raw material, we test on the decoration on it. So this is a lot more than than uh, just um, yeah. setting some goals. You could maybe call it a key metric, just as important as, as sales or, or whatever it may be. It's, it's one of the key metrics that you check up on daily. Absolutely. And uh, another key metric is compliancy. Yeah. So this is on my desk every month. So I take care and look and change, and I'm so running it in terms of so with our legal with our compliance team. So for me, it is important because in the end, I have to stand up also in front of the authorities if there is a question or into the market or recalls or things. We have a very strong compliance team. I think we have the best in Europe, which runs the show. But in the end, I need to know and I want to know, and I'm also involved in this. And we take it all very serious in in PF, but also in the group polyconcept with all these things. And, you know, this is unfortunately a little bit the reputation of this discretionary industry of promotional items, which probably wasn't the past, but it's really process-driven right now. 
And uh, if you want to stay successful, be a leader, you have to act like a hyper-professional, like anybody else in the industry. And uh, when you look at the complexity, I'm coming from brand management, right? So brand manufacturers of big brands. It, our business is even more complex to manage the vendor base where you have a brand manager, you have your supply chain under control because it's your own brand and you do this for ages, producing the same thing in the, in the, in the factory for all the time. So I think that's the part where I think we have to be super professional in process-oriented uh, and also commitments giving to partners, but also to ourselves to stay really ahead of yeah. the curve. I completely agree. And I have talked about uh, this before, this um, reputation or what what we should call it uh, on how things were done in the past. But if, if I look at some of the top resellers in Sweden and, and uh, how professional they are and the way they communicate, I'm sure that they will change this picture very fast because how professional they are in explaining to to the end customer like what what kind of products we we are actually working with here and and how much has changed and so on so it's it's really nice to see these these uh, really top level players uh, being so good at explaining the changes that has been going on for the past 3 4 5 years absolutely and um and this comes back to a partnership because we also feed them and give them a lot of support on material, what we do on our end, and also help our customers yeah. to be very professional on the front end to the consumer as well. Super exciting stuff. We could talk about that for, for one yes, hour I, more. I, know. But, uh, <laughs> I can talk about it for ages. Right? <laughs> but we also have a huge uh, thing that happened just the other week, and it was that you acquired um, the company T-Shirt and Sons, that is yes. a big player within the print-on-demand business. And uh, my heart uh, is a little extra warm for print-on-demand, just because we have written so much about it since our inception three years ago or we have uh, written so much about all these different uh, youtubers and influencers that are like selling merchandise which is one kind of print on demand and and small uh, small series and uh, it's definitely a growing market that i feel maybe not all of our readers has been too interested in but uh, then this news comes that you have acquired t-shirts and sons and that you see like a big potential in this market and so on and <laughs> it almost makes me able to say told ya <laughs> but uh, could you <laughs> could you could you explain a bit more about uh, what the, yeah. why this was a good sure. fit for you sure i can you saw it in the, the press. We it touched a little bit already the, the the investment rationale on it. So I don't have to explain you, but probably the, the listeners or the readers <laughs> yes. is that the uh, the POD market is a, a, a extremely fast growing market in the last I would say three to four years. Really significant moved up, and uh, it's mainly coming from the apparel side. Started in this, but it's also moving into the hard goods side. And uh, due to the fact um, that the uh, digitalization is so much moving forward and the connectivity and individual businesses or platforms or marketplaces are out there using such kind of products and they print on the products, where we see this is in the, since two years already, we observed that is a very interesting uh, market for us. Yeah. Why is it interesting for, for Body Concept? First, we are the largest product developer in hard goods. We have a significant stake in apparel. We have a significant experience in, in uh, branding, decorating uh, across the globe. 
we have access to markets. And at least here in Europe, we are the leader in our uh, in benchmark for the digitalization in our industry. Uh, with our store, and the store is one thing, but the most complex piece which we have developed as an own IP is our visualization tool. And this means we own the technology. And the visualization tool is it sounds easy and simple, but it's not because we have developed this and we have researched for years and we have really uh, negotiated with big names like Microsoft or Adobe or other ones. Could they provide us such kind of a tool, what we call a really ready-made art file to produce? Yeah. And on the website, you look at this on your logo and you get what you see, which is not the case in everybody else's, uh, I would say, majority of the, of the size of the websites you look so we're very proud about this, and we knew when we developed this, this is scalable and transfer this to other businesses as well. And this POD business is something which um, can leverage hard goods, similar items we have in the apparel, and they're all printing on it. What we do not have today is to be able to print and uh, build a flow extremely efficient on one single piece, which is not our DNA. So we are running for big mass market production, minimum order quantities, and so forth. So we are leader there in the efficiency. And the question was really, can we do it ourselves, or shall we uh, buy someone who is really strong into this market? That's one thing. The second is, we are not participating on a significant growth market today with our product range. So we can offer our products to, on, the, on some marketplaces and ask them, can you listen my plank products, but there's someone else who's fulfilling it right? as a platform. So that was the thing where the opportunity came up. The market is growing. Promotional market might take two years to recover. Here is a market which is really booming, even in the pandemic. As you uh, looked into this very detailed and you were writing about it, it's even double-digit growth all the time yeah. in many ways. The North American market is the biggest one, the most mature one, but now it's really getting really much uh, started also here in Europe. So that is the part. Can we participate and how can we participate? And the reason was we found a company like T-Shirt and Sons, which is one of the leading company here. And I think in the end of the day, what we are leveraging is if you want to go into the market, we're leveraging a strong relationship, a significant market expertise and technology assets. That means you can buy a, a printer, which in the end of the day is not a rocket sign, but in this combination with the digital or the um, technology assets on the shop for the flow, but also to be connected already with API connection, everything. This is exactly our DNA. This is what Europe is, is really doing for. So we have the first connection, API connection with online distributors 10 years ago and so forth. And this is what we are accelerating and further develop. So this is really fits in our way. So we can participate on a market we add uh, digital uh, assets, uh, IT assets to the company, and we can leverage our uh, product portfolio supply chain and can ha have really incremental sales on a one-piece print. And we can diversify our risk and growth opportunities to go into totally different market areas, like when you say in different marketplaces, uh, e-commerce businesses, uh, online shops, retail shops, leveraging pieces, gaming community, w whatever, yeah. name it, yeah. right? Which is a huge growing market and can leverage our hard goods. And the second side is that we, we can um, leverage our domain expertise in this part. And the most interesting 
not most, but at least on top interesting is really the technology assets that we can further build on what we have and what T-shirts and Sons had and we combine this right now to be really building a tool, a connector, configurator in this way to really participate in big steps in this POD market. And um, the goal is definitely to become one of the leading company globally in this area. This is also a global project. That means we, are, we bought the company here in Europe, but we're also leveraging and transport the idea to North America, which we are building a similar piece, and then starting really getting into a really significant growth mode and offering more and more POD offers. And the interesting part is that the feedback of our some top of our customers in our promotion business was very positive. Why? Because we can add some additional services to them, which they they every day receive inquiries of uh, single print pieces, and now we can easily connect them, and we we become a really a fulfilling platform for promotional items, but also for POD. Yeah, this this is the uh, the uh, investment rationale: participate in new market, leverage our expertise in IT, product, and supply chain, and um, diversify our risk portfolio on the promotional market and go back on growth and uh, scale up our business and make it much more resilient and agile for the future. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a fantastic uh, step that you have taken and I think it will turn out to be very successful. And to just linger a little bit on this topic, I mean, what, what I think that maybe not everyone thinks about, let's say we have 100,000 companies in Sweden, then our businesses will say, okay, so I have 100,000 potential customers or 100,000 potential brands that I can help with communication via physical products. Then the technological boom happens and you, and you get YouTube and you get gamers and you get Instagram and you get all this. And then you start getting these huge creators on these platforms who exactly. themselves become brands. So what you have now is, okay, so you have 100,000 companies, traditional brands, but then you also have like 20, 30,000 new brands that are, that are uh, creating their own content and uh, that have loyal fans that uh, exactly. proudly want to, to want to bear their brand. So, I mean, it's like the customer base became significantly larger, but only if you think about it in, in those terms that it's in, actually in the, brand. In the sizes. Yeah. yeah. No, I fully agree, David. And, um, and then it comes back to the, to the professionalism of digital. It means you need to be able to manage that as most as efficient as possible yeah. because 350,000 new customers would kill pf today in the promotional business yeah right so but with these platforms and the efficiency and the gains that it is filtered on one way it's just a fulfillment the thing what you need to do further develop it to be connected and be much easier for the click and the third thing is build up some capacity and print most efficient and the flow yeah right so this is automation process this is really this is what we we know to do but we are not responsible for your three hundred thousand new brands because these are the brand owners. They develop SEO and SEMs. They, they have their loyal community. Um, they click on this, right? The bowling club is now offering also drinkware and backpacks and T-shirts for their own local community. And they print five pieces and other stuff. Yeah. But 
we would not do this, but you can do it now because, and this comes the platform itself. When you talk about some uh, players, which you have pre-designed uh, artwork already on, or you can upload your own artwork as a platform to offer the products, or you have this community on platform when you talk about Shopify or whatever, where these 300,050 people can be connected and select the offering, and then you'll be one of the major part of the fulfillment center. Yeah. And then you, you help everybody, and, and it's very easy and, and get uh, some very nice business model out. And this comes back to... 1999 we're talking about the, <laughs> yeah the it's not different Infra it's not different infrastructure and logistics are key <laughs> yeah it i think yeah yeah the tech the it exactly. uh, infrastructure now we are very excited and i tell you that t-shirt and teachers t-shirts and sun has a very good reputation We've got very good feedback from our loyal customer base across europe because they see even scalable opportunities for them the start was very good, so growing the business the entire last year and still today, it's very good, and we have strong plans to further develop at hard goods, uh, enhance the technology even further, and really accelerate over the next three to five years this business a lot. And honestly, we don't know how far it can go, because it's so huge. It can be so huge. Yeah, It's all a kind of a, quest, a question of how much capex you can in, invest it was a return, but this can be very quick, be a similar size of the business than total PF Europe in Europe. Yeah, I look forward a lot to keep track of how, how this develop. Okay, so lastly, I know the audience will want to know a little bit more about uh, PF concept thoughts on marketing and fares. You have been... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you, uh, <laughs> What are your thoughts? Now Now this new uh, fair in Germany has turned up. Uh, don't make me pronounce it. Uh, the uh, Liefen... <laughs> Lieferantentag. Yeah. Yes. And you guys uh, are uh, one of the benefactors, it says. Like one one year ago or so, I, I wrote an article from based on a press release from you that you that you wanted a more personal connection yeah. with your customers and and uh, so on. Can you talk about sure. your thoughts on on how to handle uh, marketing and so on? Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking to the wrong guy about the fares. I was changing that already in all the other companies as well because personally, I think. Fares like we like we know for years are not really very beneficial or adding value to companies. Or you go to an innovation fair where you really see something brand new which you don't know. It's more to inform yourself and to train and, and upgrade yourself. But in terms of the business fairs we all experience over years, I think this is not very beneficial. And the, the objective also for PF is clearly that due to the all the tools we deliver to our customer community and make their life hopefully easier and that they stay in business. We support them with information, with downloading photographs, with uh, leaflets. We have online catalog configurator built or teaser configurator built. So they can really go and use those things individually for their clients to win the game. Yeah. And, and I think this is something I continue to invest because I think this is added value to our customers. And this is added value to the company because you have a connection with these uh, individual customers on this. And they can really take advantage out of that. On a fair, for instance, I doubt that it is really adding value just to show 
partly of your products. You never show everything. You show only a new thing. Um, it's crowded. You don't have time. You can socialize. Yeah. But the question is, is the socializing really the benefit for all these because you have a lot of other customers come in? So in the end, the objective is really to be more tailor-made to our customers and spend dedicated time with them by inviting them to our showrooms or we have a meeting room where we only do that for them and also build for all the other thousands of customers which are not able to go to a fair or sometimes they go to a fair as much as possible digital platform tools that all the questions they have, they can get answers on that. And if they have still a question, we show up and uh, have a visit or meeting or you can call somewhere. But the fairs in general, I think it's not very beneficial. We invest so much in digital tools. It's better to invest, continue to invest in this and save that money for our customers, but also doing an automation processes for our factories to go to market uh, and speed up the delivery. Customers are beneficial more from that than from a fair. So, but, you know, it's still a hybrid in some areas. And I leave it up to the local country managers also to decide in the room to maneuver yeah. what they think is appropriate to participate. Not saying super restrictive, we stop everything. No, every geography has a different, like I said, habit and also different customers. So I leave it up to the country manager also to come back in every year's, year's cycle budget to say, okay, I want to participate on a wholesaler show or in-house show of major customers. So, but we also invite them. But the, the big thing that we run to the PSI or to a big fair where we have to build all these things, I think that's very limited. And I, I'm, I'm not very in favor of doing that. And my thoughts is really around it's, it's more beneficial for our customers to spend the money dedicated, tailor-made with tools or on a face-to-face -face presentation, digital presentation right now on the COVID side, yeah. sending them samples free of charge or whatever, then to spend the money on a fair. Yeah, I completely understand uh, where you're coming from. And I mean, the, the the concept of fairs was invented before you, you were able to show a new product with one uh, click of the mouse, right? So, but as you said, the social part, I guess, is what uh, still makes it relevant for most of the people. And you can be social in, in different forms and ways and shapes, so... It's interesting. It has its function, but it maybe it needs uh, an update or something. I don't know. It's it's not our problem to solve right now. No, but absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, as a businessman, I have to be always flexible and listen. Yeah. So if someone comes around the corner and convinces me and has a new project or a new idea, which is really uh, something different and we can really measure some added value on this for both sides, for customers and also for us, I'm open to listen and also reconsider again. But today, I have not seen that project yet. I understand. Okay. Thank you so much for being part of this uh, podcast and taking your time and, and talking uh, extensively about uh, what's going on with PF and uh, everything. It has uh, really been a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. David, thank you very much and um, have a nice day. Yeah, you too, sir. This morning, I knew something was wrong. It tried to defeat me, but I knew I was.
strong, and you are strong. 